Hi, I'm Sharon Vollman, Editor-in-Chief of ISE. Welcome to Behind the Solutions Podcast. Thanks for joining us as we talk with the leaders and the doers behind the telecom networks. Learn why our guests are passionate about creating innovative solutions and sometimes surprised at what they learn about themselves and others along the way. Jessica and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. To start, let's explore some of your network initiatives and how you do it in a challenging geography so other broadband providers can borrow some of those and use them in the future. Let's talk fiber first. What are the network transformation milestones you recently met and how has MTA solved the biggest challenges that you face in delivering broadband to the underserved? That is a great question. That's a wonderful place for us to start because that is, you know, first and foremost at sort of the the top of our minds as we're running our business, right? And the key milestone that we focus on at the beginning of every year is more fiber to more structures. How are we going to achieve that? There's a number of ways that we've been attacking those objectives. You know, and the first one is ensuring that we have the appropriate software, we have the appropriate technology in-house to meet all of our mapping needs, to determine, okay, what is our network capable of doing? Do we have the right tools uh, to manage this? And then looking at those various locations throughout our network and determining, okay, how can we continue to upgrade these where it makes sense, where people are purchasing and where the market has a need for those services, where your network is either defined as underserved or unserved, those various portions. And from a financial case, whether or not there's density to justify an investment in that network to be able to provide a solution to the end user. And then we're also looking at different ways to find out who we can strategically partner with for in-state redundancy. Those are some of the things that we're looking at. And then lastly, what is our grant strategy? Where there isn't a financial business case to build out to, where do we have an opportunity to focus on high cost support for those areas, but then also go after and partner for strategic grants, you know, to do build outs in those areas. Those are sort of the key pillars of what our executive team discusses when we're looking at how do we meet our milestones and the milestones begin and end with how do we get more fiber to more structures faster. Share the physical network that you all provide and some of the physical challenges that you all face. I come from a unique perspective because I grew up not in our serving area, but I grew up in an even more rural part of Alaska. I grew up in Northwest Alaska in a town called Nome, which is actually the end of the Iditarod. And so I grew up as a student trying to study and go to school without access because it was just not a part of our life. We got dial-up internet when I was, I think, in high school. And we would have never gotten dial-up if it weren't for some of these government programs. But our area, we're about 45 minutes from a major city, Anchorage. So we're not too far from there, but our serving area goes well beyond that. I think we've played around with different states of comparing our serving area to, but we've kind of landed on Maryland, right? Our serving area, if you were to spread it out on the continental United States, it'd be roughly the size of Maryland, but with, I think, a tenth or a one hundredth of the population, that's pretty interesting, right? And when we think about that, we've got also indigenous communities that are part of our serving area, as well as more metropolitan areas like where we live in Palmer. We've been here for 70 years. And we've kind of followed the technology trends of what our community needs. 
We're also a co-op model, which is a little bit more unique as well. Jonathan, do you want to share a little bit about kind of from an executive standpoint, what that looks like? Yeah, I think the co-op model is a little bit different, you know, where we put service to our members over profit. But I think in terms of truly being a unique Alaskan uh, internet service provider is, you know, we have some unique challenges with finding the workforce in order to deploy our network. We have unique challenges in the annual window with weather that we have to build that network. So when you look at, you know, workforce, just the natural supply issues that all internet service providers are having, and then just our unique and challenging terrain, we are unique with a unique set of issues, but it's what has come out of that is really differentiated tactics to address these so that we could stay just as competitive and relevant. We have a large military uh, presence in Alaska, and when a lot of those folks come up here, we want them to experience the same level of connectivity as they would in any downtown metropolitan city. And I think by and large, we achieve that. Yeah. And I think just to tack on one of the things that I think is the most unique as two people who have lived in major cities, as well as really rural areas, is that you could go outside of our headquarters here and you've got neighborhoods that are right next to each other. You've got big subdivisions. But if you go a little bit further out, we also have miles in between homes. And so when we think about a workforce issue, we're not just having to hire line crews. We have to hire people who go out with those line crews to help with bear protection. We just had a crew in Eagle River that had to bring an extra person just to be available for the bears that will inevitably come while our line crew are out there working. So it brings uh, unique challenges. Oh my gosh, the imagery that's coming into my head. So question, do you do all of your deployment work and the construction in-house or do you contract it out or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. We contract a lot of it out, but we also do a lot of it in-house. As you can imagine, it's a mixture of both in order to be able to meet our needs and our timelines. And the workforce is such an issue. As you know, you're not alone. Now that you've heard a bit from Jessica and Jonathan, let me tell you a few things about their backgrounds. Jessica Gilbert is the Director of Marketing and Communications for MTA. In addition to corporate communications, media relations, thought leadership, social media, product marketing, and more, Jessica leads MTA's nonprofit arm, the MTA Foundation, which provides grants and scholarships to students and organizations in MTA's service area. She also has spearheaded MTA's growing annual eSports League with all proceeds going toward the MTA Foundation. A winner of Alaska's Top 40 Under 40, Jessica previously served as a Corporate Communications Manager and Marketing Specialist with MTA. Prior to beginning at MTA in 2018, Jessica served in various roles at Wells Fargo. With her team at MTA, Jessica has prioritized collaboration focused on creativity and led with emotion, all while empowering the community around her. Jessica enjoys volunteering for causes that support prevention and awareness around domestic violence, as well as other issues impacting the women of Alaska. She's also passionate about the empowerment and education around Alaskan Native culture. Jonathan Babbitt is an integral part of MTA's executive team, holding the position of Vice President of Product Strategy and Communications. His primary responsibility lies in the strategic development and implementation of MTA's product lines, targeting sustainable profitability. 
Jonathan is recognized for his ability to synchronize MTA's brand promise with customer experience, driving alignment across the company. His transformational leadership has redefined the marketing and sales operations, yielding streamlined processes and superior performance. His public relations acumen has been instrumental in fostering favorable perceptions of MTA's customer and community service achievements. Since 2016, Jonathan and his team have been at the forefront of esports adoption and engagement across Alaska, pioneering new avenues of connectivity. Now let's get back to our chat with Jessica and Jonathan. Let's share a success. Obviously you shared with me climate issues and bear issues and workforce issues. While you've overcome some of those and have a success story, what's one of your favorites in terms of fiber deployment? This one is still in process. So hopefully I can still share that how I, I find this is going to be one of our biggest success stories is that we were awarded a reconnect grant for a town called Tyonic. And what I see for this community is this is an almost exclusively indigenous town. Almost all of the residents are part of our indigenous community. And so we're seeing this opportunity for this technology revolution to be able to coexist with cultural preservation. So we have this community that can continue to live a subsistence lifestyle and continue to preserve their culture while being connected and looking for future education opportunities for creating an economy in this community. And that's all going to be possible because of this fiber deployment that wouldn't have been possible without this opportunity, right? And so I'm really excited to visit this community in a couple of years and to see how are they continuing with that subsistence lifestyle, that cultural preservation of indigenous communities that we know is so important while still being a part of this technology revolution. I think that's going to be such a cool journey. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Now, of course, the reality is fiber doesn't go everywhere, right? We just can't make it happen. The cost of the business case doesn't work. Gary Enlow created this cool rate reach DSL calculator in order to upgrade the copper plant in places where fiber doesn't make sense. Share a bit about this story and the roadmap to get those communities to at least fiber-like speeds. I'm glad you mentioned it. Gary Enlow, who is our former director of product development, who's now our vice president of engineering, since he launched this rate reach calculator, uh, which he was awarded by the NTCA last year for their innovators award for this. The fantastic thing about this tool is obviously when you're looking at improving the copper performance, your limit there is the distance. And so the further away this structure is from one of your central offices, that's where you get less speed. The closer you are, you get more speed. When you're on fiber, that issue of attenuation is mitigated and you can get all the speed you want on fiber, right? So you said where fiber doesn't make sense, I would say where fiber doesn't make sense yet, right? Because fiber makes sense everywhere. We're eventually going to but what this calculator did is it really bridged the gap between network management and product management. This rate reach calculator was a great way to look at our entire footprint and determine what were the best speed packages for our copper customer where we could offer the most speed to the most amount of people, right? We can't have 250 different internet plans that meet the needs of every different structure. So this calculator looked at what is the best case scenario for the largest swath of potential customers 
to where we could get them in right packages. So what happened after the creation of this is we were able to upgrade about 70 to 80% of our customers to higher internet plans that were on copper because we shortened those loop lengths over the last four years and improved those as much as we could while we were deploying fiber so that our copper customers were getting a better experience and weren't forgotten on their road to a fully fiber experience. That's what we were able to do. What percentage of your network is fiber? Fiber to the prem. We are under 20% now. That's tough. So you've got to use alternative technologies. Absolutely. And we will be here to say that copper provides still a wonderful experience for the vast majority of people. Fiber, absolutely. That is what we want to do. That future proofs your network. That gives the best experience and the most opportunity for a lot of your differences with value-added services. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that any provider should give up on copper. We have customers that are on copper that are getting 100 meg down and they're having a wonderful experience. And that's the promise to our members is that regardless of the vehicle in which we deliver service, it's going to be fantastic as we continue to modernize our, our network over time. It is that 20%, but I don't think we mentioned our size because as co-ops go, we're actually one of the larger ones. We have over 32,000 members. Wow. So that 20% is still a significant amount of people that are experiencing fiber right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to move to the future. Let's talk about the emerging or the disruptive technologies uh, that excite you the most and why. This is a fantastic question. And what we believe is that all of our nostalgia is for the future, not for the past. So that's what we sit here and, and look forward to. And there are many different sort of uh, emerging and disruptive technologies, but one of the ones that excites me the most is really the convergence of all of those different technologies within the home. Because what we've seen here is over time is management of your own home network is becoming more and more untenable as we continue to connect more devices to give us greater control over our home, right? <laughs> Whether it's video cameras or thermostats or, you know, a plethora of smart home devices, all of these things are making your home network more difficult to control. So one of the things that I see that's really becoming disruptive is the fact that people are looking to their internet service provider to provide that level of home control because you're local, you are that trusted technology provider to them. And we've lost a little bit of control of the home. And what you're seeing now is a lot of providers are developing managed services and a book of value-added services where we're able to help control the convergence of all of those technologies together in a managed service. That's where I see the greatest opportunity for us is they need a local partner. I'd love to sit here and say, ooh, Starlink, I'm watching them. I love them. I love yeah. reading about Elon, but I'm not sure that he wants to partner locally with our small communities here in Alaska, and they need that. And I believe that is our differentiator and the thing that we can take the most advantage of is helping people manage their home network as it scales and becomes much more difficult. Can you talk about the security piece or the cybersecurity piece? Does that go into that managed services package? Absolutely. So what you're seeing is uh, a lot of internet service providers just like us are working with 
national and international cybersecurity partners to white label apps that give parents home control, that gives the work from home person VPN, and basically gives you tools to find out whether or not your behavior is unsafe, you've been involved in a breach, helps you manage passwords for various sites. You know, we're all working with partners to help deploy these type of solutions because I want to say the last time I read this is nearly 70% of consumers want to work with their internet service provider for a cybersecurity solution. It's not that there's not probably a million and one different folks that they can go directly to, but they're looking for that trusted partner that they're familiar with and they know they can get local support. Thank you for that so much, Jonathan. I like to get your local view of things and then also a broader industry view of things. So my next question is kind of that old, the elephant in the room thing. What is our industry missing or not addressing that it should be related to network evolution? And what are your thoughts about that? That is a big question. And so I'm going to have to say this one is sort of a market of one. I'm going to go off and say this one, I'm speaking specifically for myself as I see it. And it's this, it's that money's not going to solve our issue with fiber deployment. And I think money is a key component, but that's not going to solve the issue. We have workforce limitations, supply limitations, and geographic uniqueness that I think we really need to consider that these cookie cutter solutions that we roll out nationwide that have these huge price tags on that look big and sexy and people go, oh, wow, we have... $80 billion, this is going to solve the world's problems. It's a key component, but there are so many other unique limitations that rural providers encounter. That's the elephant in the room, that the money's not going to solve this. There are much greater issues that are working in tangent. And you know we need to let people closest to those issues develop the right solutions. Tell me about your STEM initiatives and developing STEM talent in your network, in your community. With a healthy co-op is going to come healthy giving. And over the years, we've really figured a great way to be strategic with that giving, finding opportunities, not only in our community, but in the outlying communities that are already working towards that goal of a more STEM ready workforce. And so we partnered with our local university system and they do summer engineering camps. And it was happening in that major city I told you about, which is 45 minutes away, which is quite the trek for the youth in our community. So we partnered with them. We gave them a, a major grant and they were able to host UAA summer engineering camps right here in our neighborhood. And they've managed to, they have four or five different camps. These are things like coding and Lego architecture building and great things that are great for ages third grade all the way up to high school ages. And they're selling out. They're completely full. And because of our grant, they're able to offer some low-income scholarships and other opportunities, but it's a very affordable program. So that's one of our initiatives that we started a couple of years ago that we've seen great success with. And the other one is the Girls Who Code program. This is something that we have sponsored from a monetary perspective over the years. And about three years ago, we got a lot more involved, a lot more strategic. We're offering speaking opportunities. We're giving the girls that are part of the Girls Who Code Camp tours of our facilities, showing them all of the career opportunities within ISP that go beyond what you would traditionally think of as ISP job opportunities. We also have every year now a youth tribal tech tour. So this is an opportunity to bring 
the tribal students of middle school and high school ages into our facility for a full day immersive camp where they get an opportunity to hear from lots of different leaders within the organization. They get to see a job site. They get to see our different offices. And it's a great opportunity for these students to really see what future job opportunities are like. And we can't not mention esports because that's one of our <laughs> biggest initiatives. And that's uh, part of my team's projects. And while we engage all ages, it really starts at that younger demographic. We're meeting them where they're at. They're already gaming. So let's engage with them in a meaningful way to not only continue to kind of harness those skills that we see that they are engaging with every day that they're gaming, communication skills, leadership skills, strategic thinking skills, critical thinking skills. And we're continuing to harness that through our esports initiatives. To sort of brag a little bit on Jessica as well, is that when we talk about STEM, often we're focused very much on youth, but she has developed a number of incredible programs that are meant to educate our senior population. If you think about being a 70-year-old co-op, you can probably imagine we've done one or two technology migrations with our current members along those 70 years. That's a demographic of folks who need as much of that education and reinforcement as the youth do. And so she has created a number of great programs that really teach seniors about home networking, about connectivity, about cybersecurity, about wow. the evolution of streaming video, which was very poignant to this demographic. And so we've made a lot of achievements in that area too. We have a senior center, what, two blocks from here. And I launched a employee giving opportunity where our employees could donate to a cause. And we identified the senior center as a cause to help them build a really robust computer lab down in their facilities, a place where they can not only build community with each other, but connect with maybe grandkids that live out of state. And we built out even a little corner of the space for senior friendly esports. So they've got things like the Wii and um, opportunities to play Rocket League with their grandkids that might live in another state. So we're finding unique opportunities to keep that community active and engaged. There's a direct correlation to reducing Alzheimer's with opportunities that are digital, whether that's gaming or just being present online. There is a correlation there and our team is helping to bridge that. Oh my gosh, such important work. I really respect that. A big piece of everything you all do has to do with talent and workforce. Share with me, if you wouldn't mind, how you are recruiting, engaging, retaining younger professionals and hoping to keep them or mentor them to go find their dreams. Yeah, I think we're in a unique position because we've figured out how to use esports to our advantage. We host annually Alaska's largest esports league. We do that in-house and it's a seven-week tournament, but it requires an ongoing engagement on a platform called Discord, which is very similar to like Facebook or another social media platform. But we've got over 700 engaged gamers in this Discord channel, which is essentially a large group chat. And so I can't think of a time in our history of MTA where we've been able to say that we have over 700 tech savvy, youthful, energetic people at our disposal at all times. So we use them in lots of different ways. We talk to them about upcoming products and services, but we've learned that this is a great talent pool. This is a group of people that are excited about jobs like um, tech support, IT, 
product management. And so we have this place where we can post job opportunities and we've been successful there, but also just sharing that we're part of that community has translated really well to that younger demographic. So we've seen a lot of success there, but we're also partnering with our local schools at all times. We have constant communication, whether it's to share about the affordable connectivity program or it's our esports efforts or our internship program. We have an open dialogue with our school district, which is absolutely critical, whether or not you're their ISP of choice. It's our responsibility as broadband providers to connect with those schools. We also work with the IBEW on multiple apprenticeship programs. So we're really finding that we're a pretty large organization with over 300 employees. So we have creative roles. We've got admin roles. We've got climbing the pole roles, right? And so we have to figure out how do we engage with all of those different corners of the company. And we're doing that in really unique and strategic ways. I think with the retention piece comes that all of these efforts are rooted in the joys and love that our employees have in the community, right? So we're not just starting esports programs. We're talking to our employees and we're finding out, wow, half of our tech support is engaged in esports. Let's get engaged in esports. And that was eight years ago. We're finding out, wow, we've got a large group of our workforce that likes to volunteer in the community. So we're finding those places and connecting there. And that's what's keeping employees engaged. Are you seeing anything different? No, I mean, I I think you hit on all the right points. I just think at a much higher level, we have to, number one, we have to be found and we have to be where the future workforce are found, right? Wherever they're at, we need to be there. We need to be telling a brand story that resonates with them, that makes them believe that people like them are successful here. And the chances are is nobody is fully optimized for that. It's something that we will all have to continue to work on through a positive feedback loop to ensuring that we are evolving and adjusting the workplace to what the future workplace wants in that workplace. And so it's the job that never ends. And it's this constant feedback cycle to ensure that we are developing a place that people want to work at long-term, right? And they can be successful at. What have you learned about Jessica and Jonathan, this whole experience of your job? I think for me, the biggest thing was that I never thought if, if you asked me five years ago, if my biggest project of the year was going to be an esports tournament. I would have laughed at you because <laughs> I mean, I loved crash bandicoot growing up, but that was about the extent of it, but it was really about what do my employees enjoy? What does my team love to do and creating roles and responsibilities that still push the business forward, but really harness what they love to do. And we're doing that, that not only translates to your employees, but it translates to your community and and what they're doing there. So I think that's been my biggest. And, you know, having the opportunity to travel down to other telco conferences, I want to see more women. I want to see more young women. And I think that the work we're doing is going to help spread that even further. I'm most excited (laughs) about what other people are going to do. We've built the network. Now, how are people going to use it to achieve their end goals, right? So we've built it. What are you going to do with it? I'm a, a young boy eating popcorn, and I can't wait to see what the innovators are going to come up with next. Thanks for spending time with us today. Learn about the interesting leaders and doers we'll be interviewing in the future by visiting iscmag.com and clicking on podcast. Until next time, stay passionate about learning and be good to your teams.